Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder, where we're striving to grow in love with the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And today we are continuing our series from the book, Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized by Mike Aquilina. Yeah, and we're really deep in now. We're on chapter nine and uh, we have a new saint, actually, that we're going to be discussing some of his writings about friendship. And the saint of this chapter is St. John Cassian. Cassian. And I, I feel like he's not one that gets a lot of discussion generally. He's not one of the more quote unquote popular saints, uh, but he did live at the same time as some very popular saints, which yes. is probably why he doesn't get mentioned as much, but he lived at the same time as Augustine and Jerome and St. John Chrysostom. So we, you know, just had some chapters where we talked about those guys. And so one of the things I think is interesting about St. John Cassian is that he seems to be this saint that kind of is a coming together place of spirituality of the East and spirituality of the West Interesting. because he spent some time um, in the East and uh, he also was a monk in Egypt for a while. And then he went, he ended up in France actually in Marseille and founded a monastery there where he was kind of trying to promote um, sort of the, monasticism of Egypt in uh, France. So he's kind of bringing together uh, the Eastern and Western monasticism. And so that's kind of a neat place for him to occupy. And he wrote uh, what we find out at the intro of this chapter is that he had a work which is called the conferences, uh, mm. which is a one of these kind of um, very much, uh, like St. Alred of Riveau and, and these things where it's like a, almost like a conversation. It's written like it's a conversation. And so there's a lot of beautiful writing about friendship that's uh, written as if it's a conversation between St. John and a friend of his. So uh, I think that's really neat. So mm-hmm. we're going to dig into, into some of those things. And when I was reading the chapter, what I really came to was that a lot of what he's writing pretty much follows a lot of what we talked about in our series on spiritual friendship about some of the qualities of what you need to base um, true deep spiritual friendship on. And, you know, he's in a way also drawing from, you know, sort of the Greek ideals of um, a friendship being based on virtue. And this is all being written, you know, in the, you know, fourth century. So, you know, St. Elrod of Riveau, when he writes his uh, on friend on spiritual friendship is, you know, he, I don't never really saw him quote like St. John Cassian, but some of the ideals that are in that work really do have echoes from, from what we are reading. Right. Here. So it's kind of a consensus among the saints. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. And in the beginning of, of the part where they start quoting uh, what uh, was written by St. John Cassian, um, they talk about how they, they're going to a new place. He and this guy, who are really, really good friends, go to a new place, and they're looking for instruction from this guy named Thamuis. It's, it's kind of hard to pronounce. <laughs> T-H-M-U-I-S. I don't know how you'd pronounce that, yeah. <laughs> but that's a toughie. Uh, anyway, so the, he this guy notices that these 
two are really, really close. And so he asked them, like, are y'all brothers, you know, biological brothers? And and the response to that is that they say, well, we're united in a tie of spiritual, not carnal brotherhood. And that from the first beginning of our renunciation of the world, we had always been joined together in an unbroken bond, as well as in our travels, which we both had undertaken for the sake of spiritual service as also in the pursuits of the monastery. So I think it underscores that idea that this, this being really, really closely tied as friends, not just in the, in the sense that you have a mutual affection for each other, but that you're also united in purpose and Mm. that you're, you're going forth in the world to do things together in the yes, world. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that you see a lot in these, you know, chapters that we've read this, right. this working together, you know, we talk about shoulder to shoulders, this idea that you're, you're side by side looking out into the world and working together. But I do think that it's sometimes it's kind of lost a little bit in the modern day where we see our friends um, as, sometimes a refuge from the world and not always like that we would be lock armed coworkers right. in the world. Well, I'd say it more of entertainment value. Oh, like we have fun together. Right. You know, right. I yeah. see that is way my friendships really, Oh, we have good chemistry and we have a really fun time together, mm-hmm. which I'm so thankful that um, the faith has taught me these truer, deeper, richer when you do, because ha- isn't it a wonderful connection when you have someone that's really ordered toward the good of the other yeah. and to the Lord? Yeah. And so I do good. think that, you know, when we see in scripture where Jesus sends off disciples, you know, two by two, right? He sends them off in pairs. There is this sense that when we work together, when we not only are united in you know, emotion and, and mutual respect and, and attraction for the good of the other. But then when we harness those mutual affections and then we order them towards working to build the kingdom, we can be more effective than if we were doing something on our own. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you're usually much better at this, but I'm going to do <laughs> like personal experience. Yeah. In my own experience, I have had times where I was entering into a project that was having to do with, you know, some sort of either an activity or an event or something uh, that was going to be ordered towards the kingdom, you know, something that I was going to put together to offer mm-hmm. uh, to others to help grow in, in, in faith and, and have an encounter with the Lord. And, and it started out that I thought that I was going to be partnering with a person to do this. And then as time went on, for whatever the circumstances, and this has happened more than once, so I'm not talking about one particular situation. It's happened a number of times in my life where the person that was supposed to, or what I thought was going to be my partner in it kind of drops out. Like they, they either because 
something's going on in their life that they get, you know, distracted, distracted mm-hmm. or they just kind of realize, well, you know, you could do this. You've got this on your own. Like you can, you can get it you don't done. Need me. You don't need me. So, you know, I'm just going to focus on other things or whatever. While the things did still get done, my joy in doing them was decreased it's significantly yeah. because I experienced an excitement of working in concert with a person that I was like-minded with and was really enjoying the idea that we would have something that we would build together. Yes. Kind of like a podcast. Maybe we'll name it shoulder to shoulder (laughs) because that's been beautiful. Yeah. Kind of amazing. And the reality is, is that we can't do this without one another. Like if one of us wigs out, we just have to cancel and have a week where we don't have a new episode. Right. Because it just, it, it doesn't exist without the conversation. But so just, I'm speaking to in my own life, the blessing of working with another towards a good and holy purpose has a joy in it that is unique unto itself. I would say even a profound joy. Yeah, I mean, very profound, uh, especially it's like answering a call that the Lord has put on your heart. And when you answer and respond to what you deeply feel is the Holy Spirit calling you, mm-hmm. which I feel like the show was right. definitely. Um, it does. It, it emits a kind of supernatural joy within us um, of working together, like you said. Right. And I do think that it does find its source in what we are meant to be as Christians mm. is unified. You know, like I talk about all the time because I'm pretty much spiritually obsessed with the idea of unity and with you know which is a good thing yeah it's you know bang that drum basically the thing that the the holy spirit used to call me to the catholic church like if there is one word to define what was it that the lord used to call me to his church it would be unity Mm -hmm. once i like came to understand and look at the church through the lens of unity everything and you know i understood everything like the whys of mm-hmm. what the church is meant to be, what she t- teaches and everything like that. And so I think that because the Lord so deeply desires unity, he desires unity with us personally in our relationship with him. He wants to be united with us in friendship and he wants us to be united with each other in friendship such that we see in the acts of the apostles and, you know, in the, very, very early, it talks about the church as being united in mind and purpose. Mm -hmm. And Paul is often, you know, saying, you know, brethren, be united in your love. Like, don't let any discord come between you. And so we are created, I think, to work together, to be in relationship that is fruitful. Right. Right. Well, and the other side of that, Megan, is disunity is not from our Lord. No. no. Disunity is absolutely from the evil one. Yeah. And so when you say we're striving for unity, that to me is striving for um, reduction of sin and increase in virtue, all of those things that would drive sin back because sin is a divider, my people. There's such a divider. Absolutely. And I think what we're meant to do in our personal relationships is to image what should be the broader reality 
in the kingdom of God, mm. right? And so as we strive for unity in, in our personal individual relationships and as we live those out accordance to God's will so that each person in the relationship is striving to put God's will first and therefore be united with each other as God's will is the um, organizing principle, that if done in the individual relationships among the body of Christ is, is striven for, is that a word striven? Mm, no, I don't think no. so. Strove, whatever. <laughs> if, if we're striving Driven, towards striving. that, if we're striving <laughs> towards that in, in all relationships within the body of Christ, then the broader body of Christ will reflect that. Mm. And I think we can both agree, Pam, that right now the visible church the body of Christ that is the Catholic church is not looking particularly unified. No. Right. And we can, we can blame that on a, a whole bunch of things, right? You mm -hmm. know, we've got all sorts of issues about what's going on in the hierarchy and what's going on here, there and everywhere in more general senses. Mm -hmm. But I wonder as I'm talking about this and we're talking about this in terms of friendship, if the fact that the, individual members of the body have not prioritized striving for unity within their relationships personally, how that impacts the broader church and this idea that disunity is acceptable, not something that we're stressed out about that, whatever that we're just, you know, we're just going to do our own thing has pervaded the church to a degree that now the cracks show Right. I want to I want to refer to this kind of as like a shaking up, though, because I think that when you start to see these divisions, they probably were underlying for a time. Right. But now sure. they're coming to light so that we can be more unified. That's the path we're on is becoming more unified. Right. Right. Because all you know, I mean, look at the different types of masses we can attend, attend now. You've got Novus Ordo. You've got uh, the Ordinariate and you have the traditional Latin. It's all three, you know, so mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see where that falls. Right. And I think getting back to the chapter, as we're talking about <laughs> unity and talking about wanting to not be broken apart, you know, he writes, there is one kind of love that is indissoluble where the union is owing not to the favor of a recommendation or some great kindness of gifts or the reason of some bargain or the necessities of nature but simply to similarity of virtue. Mm, I love that. That's so good. Similarity of virtue. And really, isn't that the end? In the end, the tipping point so often into the breakage of relationships, either on a personal level or on a grander scale. Even in families. Yeah, the decision of, well, I don't, think that that's a priority or I don't think that I have to be obedient to that or, you know, seeing things, what's the priority and what do we have to live by differently becomes a source of so much strife and, and so much area of argument and uh, misunderstanding and, and all these sort of things and such that we often run away from having the conversations to try to understand why are we seeing things differently if we both supposedly are putting 
God first in our lives. Mm-hmm. Because I, the reality is, I think a lot of times if you actually go deep, if there's a real disagreement, probably at least one of the people, if not both of them, is really truly not putting God first. And they're putting their own personal desires yes. um, before what God has revealed to be true. Yeah, the way my daughter Annie, my wise little 20-year-old says, I was choosing myself over God in yeah. a relationship, um, you know, family time, home time, whatever. When mm-hmm. things start to go really bumpy, she'll be self-reflective and say, yeah, I was just choosing myself. Right. And Not I think, the greater good. Yeah, we do that a lot a of lot. ways. It's just so yeah. easy to fall in. <laughs> and I think we don't even always realize that we're doing <clears throat> no. it. You know, sometimes things can feel quote unquote, feel so true, hmm. right? As if in, in that idea of like, well, I'm justified in my whatever. Well, you mean like at the end of the day when I still need to be cleaning up the kitchen and I'm like, man, I've been working all day and it's time for me to get, be able to sit down and relax. I'm going to wait and put that off, right? That's choosing comfort and ease over duty and station. Yeah. And and it does take perseverance. Definitely. It really Fortitude. does. You know, in the day to day to live out the call that that God has placed on our lives and, and the you know, his commands that that he has clearly laid out. And and John Cassian speaks to this reality. He says, you know, sometimes relationships they'll start off great. Um but then they the, a break can happen, and what usually that happens is because he this is uh what page was this on? Although you know that my pages are off and off, I can't stay here. All right, I think it's on page Kindle page. Kindle page does which not match. Be the same. I don't know. It's, it's in the John Cassian one, and he says. Um, if a, if two people were joined together in companionship out of their burning life, love for Christ yet could not maintain it continually without a break because although they relied on a good beginning for their friendship, yet they did not with one and the same zeal maintain the purpose on which they had entered. Mm. It's so true. That's kind of like when you realize someone has not invested in the relationship like you have. Right. That yeah. can become very clear sometimes. Which I think it was um, Aristotle, actually. Aristotle said that the most common reason for a friendship to break up is f- the realization that the two friends did not see the friendship in the same way. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, he's what he's saying here is, no, they started out in the same way where they both were, you know, were really ordered towards love of Christ. But then one or even could be both lose their zeal for Christ. And then in losing the zeal for the Lord, they lose the, the bond of their friendship too, because if that was what it was based on, right. When it, when what that is falls, then the relationship will fall too. And I think that's a really good place of when you're experiencing conflict in relationship. And in and, and this, we have, you know, we have to be talking about, if it's going to be mutual about when you're in relationship with another Christian who has also actually given their heart to the Lord. I mean, obviously we can ask this question for ourselves always, but it's not going to have the same impact if both people don't have their heart towards the Lord. But if you're having conflict in friendship, instead of first 
trying to dig into the nitty gritty details of what you're disagreeing about or where you're struggling, if you both first started with the question, where's my zeal for the Lord? Is zeal for the Lord really the primary motivator and focus of my heart, even in this circumstance? Mm -hmm. Because I think so often we get um, distracted by the details of a disagreement or a place where we're feeling a lack of unity and how we're feeling about the other person, Mm -hmm. right? About whether we feel we're being treated well or whether we feel that the person respects us or whether we're feeling the warm fuzzies of love and affirmation. But the primary thing, if the relationship is meant as it is built on a zeal for Christ as it should be, the first question to ask is where is my heart for the Lord right now. Mm-hmm. Like you can even put the actual relationship on hold for a moment. Let me not go into examining what's going on in this relationship until I first have examined where is my heart as it relates to the Lord. Have I been drawing close to him? Have I been desiring him? Have I been seeking his will? Have I been praying? Have I been going to mass? Have I been engaging the sacrament of confession? If you can't answer yes to those things, don't even bother getting into your relationship issue because your relationship issue without that being grounded will be a hot mess until you get your heart right with the Lord. Yeah. Another way to say it is, am I putting God first every day? And I I think the answer most of us would say because of our natural born concupiscence that no, not always. It's kind of a slippery slope in some ways where... We fall into bad habits or we think because of lack of feeling motivated to pray or whatnot that God has left us, which no, no, that's not the, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. It's just, we haven't been putting him first. And anyway, a whole nother ideas are coming in. I don't want to get off the topic too much. I'm like, oh, no, no, man. But there's just so much to say about it. But I I mean, I, I think that we can sometimes get into places of discouragement when we find that relationships are, seem like they're at an impasse. Like, how are we going to figure this out? How are we going to resolve this thing that's, that seems to be being a place of disunity between us? Because what, because we're too focused on the problem in the relationship and we haven't both adjusted our gaze to where it's meant to be, which is primarily on Christ first. So when we get turned in on the relationship and we start examining the relationship without the mind and eyes of Christ, we will always struggle to find the way forward. That's going to be holy. Mm. Right, right. Because, but people so quickly want to jump into problem solving. So true. That's our pride. Yeah. It really is. But I think having a thermometer of knowing when, or litmus test, however you want to say it, of knowing when you're slipping into those times is really, really important. And I think it goes back to your unity comment. Mm-hmm. Do I feel disquieted within me? Is my peer, is my peace been pierced, right? And if that's the case and you're feeling that's a good indicator that you're falling out of unity with even the Lord. Yeah, that I think that is 100% true. And, and that's something, you know, I think I've mentioned it before that I use a lot in spiritual direction with my directees where 
the question, where have you found yourself struggling to maintain peace? Mm -hmm. Because peace is the gift that the Lord says he wants to give us. And it's always available to us. And no one can steal your peace, but you can give it away. Mm. And then, so then the question becomes, why have I allowed the peace that is readily available from, from the Lord for me? Why I have allowed myself not to receive it. And that is a really deep place of coming to understand, you know, where your heart is. And because until you reorient yourself and get yourself in that place of calmness of spirit with the peace that passes understanding, will you then be capable of coming to a place of understanding of the circumstances in your life? Right, right. Otherwise, you'd just be clouded. You'll be totally clouded by fear and anxiety and um, misinterpretation, all these things, because the the storm that comes when there is an internal peace that comes from the Lord causes you to sink, just like Peter when he got out of the boat. When he took his eyes off Christ, he lost the peace of the knowledge that the, Christ is the Lord and he's got it all in control it doesn't matter what's going on around me. Yes. Then he was fine. But when you get diverted to the storm and you start looking at the storm, you uh, start looking at all the stuff yeah. and then you lose that sure confidence that the Lord has it all in hand, you're just going to sink. It, but it happens. I mean, oh, yeah, I think it's happens. part of our humanity, but like how, how quickly will we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and remember who we are in Christ? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things, you know, we're 25 minutes in at this point, so we're going to be, you know, coming to a close on this chapter pretty soon. But one of the things that he talks about a lot in the second part of the chapter is actually a very distinct way of losing your peace, which is anger. Mm. And that's, and he's basically saying, the anger, no place in friendship. Like if you're angry, Mm. you're you're not going to get out of the gate. Like it's just... That place of anger is incompatible with maintaining friendship. So Mm -hmm. he talks about some things that can help you to try to stay out of that place, which some of them being like be completely detached from worldly possessions, be constantly aware that you're dying, like (laughs) you're going to pass out of this world. So it's kind of like getting that taking that perspective from the temporal and moving it towards the eternal mm-hmm. is saying like, you know what, if we think about our friendships where they're not just about this world, if they're a spiritual friendship, our friendship is actually going to last into eternity. Right. And so if that's the reality of the relationship that we're in, that this is an eternal relationship that we will be forever in heaven together perfected in love if you're looking at the relationship from that perspective the temporal issues of the day become a lot less of a big deal because you're like you know what one day we're both striving for heaven one day we'll both be in heaven together and this will mean nothing this will be something we laugh about in, in front of the lo- the throne of the Lord. So let's have a proper perspective on it right now. Or recall that it made us more sanctified. 
true if, we, if you travel through pretty it, harrowing well. experiences out there. Yeah, but what do you have any thoughts on the idea of anger and, and how that can play out in relationship? Well, you know, one of the things I've always really thought about people who have a tendency to, to burst of anger, which is a lot of the way God made some people, that's their personality types. I've always looked at it as anger is a symptom of a deeper hurt, mm-hmm. a, a deeper sorrow or hurt and it's manifesting that way. And so that's always helped me be like, listen and not let it disturb me as much um, to have some, that anger and try and look at that person and say, well, where is this hurt coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's so much, there's, there's the right, like you said, righteous anger. Um, and I really, we could do a whole show on anger, honestly. Yeah, well, well, let's do because, it. Because, you know, I'm yeah. thinking um, the difference between, just not getting your way kind of anger um, and to the righteous anger or what if your kids are like teenagers doing something bad, that kind of Mm -hmm. anger. I mean, like sometimes when we have little children, the anger of their behaviors and I feel like anger is so multifaceted. Right. Honestly, I would agree. Uh, And I think uh, a big part of determining whether an anger is righteous or whether an anger is sort of self-serving and spiteful is what's your motivation towards the other person? Are you angry because of how, what something they did impacted you or are you angry more because you want more for them? Mm. Like to look at somebody and say, you're, better than that. You're just better than that. And our relationship needs more than that for us to be who we're called to be in relationship. If it's, if your anger is motivated towards building up of the good instead of tearing down, then it, then it can be a holy thing. But if your anger wants to lash out and it wants to hurt and it wants to injure, not for building up, but only for making you you feel better because you feel like you've been wronged, mm. that has no place. That it, vengeance. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, there's a quote here um, that I think is really good. It says, nothing should be put before love. And likewise, on the other hand, nothing should be put below love. Rage and anger. Uh, break that one down a little bit. because So uh, love be, should be the motivation for everything. It's the highest agreed. goal, right? And what he's, also, what he's saying conversely is that rage, anger should be the lowest thing in any relationship. That should be the last thing that you mm-hmm. want in your relationship. That should be the bottom of the barrel. Okay, I get it. I get <laughs> it. You know, like that you should strive... For everything else before you allow that to really play a significant role. Kind of on, on the spectrum of joy and goodness of the other all the way down to rage and anger. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I like that. And, you know, we can grow in that area of by working on our own sensitivities. Um, I, one of the, I, there's a quote that I love regarding scandal, but I think we could kind of 
put it in with anger too. The quote as it relates to scandal is the quickest way to cause scandal is to be easily scandalized. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that statement, it's right? So good. But oh my gosh. It's awesome. And we can I'm pack the guilty, we, guilty. Let's do a topic. Let's do a whole show on scandal okay. one time too, okay. because that would be fun to do. But I think as it relates to anger, if you don't want anger to destroy re- your relationships, don't be quick to anger. Yes. So true. You know what I mean? Because we can, that's, that's, that can help in two ways. First, we don't inflict upon another our anger, but it also is we don't respond to another person's anger quickly with anger, which okay. then just escalates the situation. Which we talked about the self-control. You right, know, self-control. That's self-control is a great, one of the greater virtues, I think. Right. The other virtues will follow if we have our self-control. In fact, later in the chapter, he talks about a lot about this idea of turning the other cheek that Christ says, you know, you know, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek so that he may strike you. And he's saying, if you're turning the other cheek with this sort of spiteful kind of I'm holier than you attitude of, of like the the martyr complex. I'm just going to be the martyr here and mm-hmm. I'll show them. That's mm-hmm. a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is the purpose of the idea of turning the other cheek is that when someone's anger is vented and not re and not responded to with anger, that is more likely to lead to the person who is angry settling his anger and then therefore being able to actually enter into a conversation that could potentially solve the situation. But when you meet anger with anger, it never helps. It always escalates. It's never the answer. The way I've heard it put one time too, is if you do not respond with anger to say someone is angry with you, then the anger dies with them. So same thing, same thing you're talking about with um, disarming them in a way is the anger will die. If you do not respond back with anger, it dies. Yeah. And uh, St. John Cassian also talks about if you hold on to these angry feelings and you have grudges, the Lord's very clear. He's like, don't you come to my altar. If you've got an issue with your brother, yeah, yeah. you need to solve that problem before you come to me. And so don't think that you can be all holy and awesome and have this beautiful, wonderful spiritual prayer life with the Lord. If you're holding on to anger and resentment and unforgiveness towards other people, the Lord says, I don't want it. I don't want you in that place. You come to me with a contrite heart, then we can work. But if you're going to insist on holding on to your anger, you're, don't bring your gifts to me. You go and you, re- you resolve it. So the Lord's being very clear that we can't hold on to these places of, of hurt and anger and, and resentment. They will poison the relationship with the person that you're holding that on to. And, but ultimately, it also poisons your relationship with the Lord. Mm. So I think that's a place that maybe we'll just end on that because it's such an important point. We are so quick sometimes to rationalize our feelings about other people and think I'm justified. My anger is reasonable. Like, you know, this person did that and that, whatever, and they don't deserve my forgiveness. They haven't asked for forgiveness. Well, you know, you, and, but we, and we think that we can do that and still be totally all right with the Lord when he's told us very plainly, no, it doesn't work that way. 
You don't get to hold on to all that stuff and still come to me and think that I'm just going to be like, yeah, all's good between us when you're over there hating your brother. No, no. And if we're struggling, if we're really, really struggling, we need to come to the Lord. We need to ask for his grace. We need to go to confession. We need to receive the Eucharist. Mm. We need to get those remedies for our soul so that we can come to that place of, of being open to forgiveness and love Mm. and letting go of anger in our personal relationships, because don't, lie to yourself that you think that your personal relationships are somehow separate from your relationship with God. It's all tied together. It is. And I'd encourage brothers and sisters, one of the things I do is leave it at the foot of the cross. Just leave all your concerns, angers, and this and that. Give it back to Jesus at the foot of the cross. Amen. All right. Well, we'll wrap up this episode for now. We thank you so much for joining us and we hope that you'll tune in next time as we continue to walk shoulder to shoulder. And I hope until then you'll remain with us united in prayer. God bless. God bless.